0: Welcome to Risk Roundup. Mediator between human users and machines, that is a man-machine interface, is basically a system that takes care of the entire communication process. It is responsible for the delivery of the machine or computer knowledge, functionality and all available information in a way that is compatible with the end-users communication channels, whatever that are. It then translates the user's actions or user input into a form that is understandable by a machine. Now, when increasingly complex systems, products, and services are rapidly appearing across nations, the necessity for more user-friendly man-machine interface is becoming increasingly necessary for their effective utilization and consequently for the success that they were originally designed for. Over the years, graphical user interfaces audio-based interaction, speech synthesis and understanding, natural languages, direct manipulation, multimodal interaction dialogues, as well as human factors evaluation have all contributed to the evolution of more powerful, more complex and more demanding user interfaces. Having said that, as traditional computers give way to tablets, smartphones, internet of things, internet of nano things and more, The need for symmetric communication between we the humans and different form of computers is becoming absolutely essential. We have reached a point where different forms of computers or machines are not just receivers of human instructions, but collaborators, equal collaborators. Artificial intelligence based computers or machines are now able to harness a full range of natural modes that includes language, gesture, facial, and other kinds of expressions and actions that are hands-free and non-visual and are becoming very important than ever, much more important than ever. To discuss this further, I'm delighted to welcome Professor Fabio Kuzoling from Oxford, United Kingdom. Professor Fabio is Head of Artificial Intelligence and Vision at Oxford Brookes University, Oxford, United Kingdom. Welcome, Professor Fabio. We are delighted to have you on this roundup.
1: Thank you, Joshree. I'm also delighted to be to be here, actually.
0: Uh, Wonderful. Now, Professor Fabio, how has advances in technology changed the way man, machine or human and computer communicates with each other?
1: Well, you know, there's a number of possible scenarios that one one can imagine. And one of these very strong and popular nowadays is that of um, smart vehicles and autonomous cars. So, you know, the, a number of companies are investing quite a lot of money into into this kind of technologies. And one can envision maybe in 10 or 15 years' time, the deployment, the mass deployment of autonomous vehicles on our roads. And one of the main capabilities, at least in my view, that uh, smart vehicles need to possess is the, the ability to, to understand what happens around them. So what are the... Uh, actors in the scene, like pedestrians and other vehicles, are doing and they're going to do in the near future, which is, which are basically tasks that uh, we humans, uh, as drivers, solve uh, all the time. So whenever we drive, we pay attention to whatever happens in uh, in, uh, in our vicinity, and we, most importantly, we make predictions about what may happen in the future in order to be able to react to that and that can be done through visual sensors uh, so I, I was listening to your introduction and the focus you were giving it um, there was mostly on on human, human machine interfaces but human machine interfaces I- interfaces not just about like giving commands uh, to your laptop using gestures or or replacing keyboard and mouse and now some um, for, for more natural interaction but it's also about creating machines that can understand human behavior at the same time. And um, again, autonomous vehicles are a very important application of that
0: yes absolutely very true that autonomous vehicles smart vehicles they are almost on the road now we see the trials going on and before we know they will we will have many more you know across uh, nations you know in many different cities and many different nations so yes you are absolutely right that they need to be intelligent to be able to understand human behavior human you know activities that is going around them so they can you know have intelligent decisions that uh, they need to stop they need to make sure that a child is crossing the road that it doesn't you know uh, run over it and you know it has to stop at the right time those kind of uh, actions needs to be there and you're absolutely right about that so how would you describe the current state of uh, communication between the computers and humans
1: well my group works um, very intensively on on this very purpose which is um, using cameras to understand what type of Of activity or action um, humans are performing in a certain video and uh, the shift nowadays is much um, moving from um, batch processing so like processing entire videos that have been acquired in the past in order to understand what what is going on in there to real-time processing uh, in which you know Images are captured instant by instant and the machine has to process them in real time In order to react immediately to to whatever is happening. So this is another application scenario besides um, Autonomous vehicles is a human robot interface so um, there have been play, and like humanoid robots have been deployed in places like I um, conference halls or railway stations in order to in order to exchange information with with people and users But what they really lack and besides the the naturality of their 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 way of interacting with people is is the capability of really understanding people and the way they express themselves so the, um, the techniques that we use here have have been achieving like um, state-of-the-art results across the board. So we tested them on the the most uh, important benchmarks in uh, in action recognition from from videos, and then we got a really dramatic uh, jump in performance. And that, that, these are based on um, a variation of uh, deep learning. You might have you might have heard about this. So the, the paradigm in uh, in machine learning has shifted recently in the last few years from from classified uh, based on statistical learning theories such as support vector machines uh, and so on to a new class of uh, neural networks which, which due to their like uh, increasing complexity so a higher number of layers and a certain specific architecture that, that alternates um, a mathematical operation called convolution, with uh, with um, looking for the maximum response of these convolution um, layers, have demonstrated to be able to to create very complex and, and abstract uh, representations on uh, of the input that is presented to them. In the case of videos or images, so they, they've mostly been applied to images so far. So you you give the entire the entire image as an input to this network, and in response, they create in their intermediate layers uh, what we call feature maps. They encode quite quite offset uh, information about um, what happens, what, what objects are in the image, or or people, or what kind of scene that is, and then they're able to exploit this intermediate representation to decide. For instance, whether a certain object of a certain class is present, so whether the picture is about a chair, whether is there a person is there, or what is the identity of the person, and so on. So what we did, what we started doing, like around uh, two years ago, is employing these uh, deep neural networks with with an increased number of layers. And again, there's a number of recent architectures that have been proposed for that. And try to apply that to videos. But the issue is that I mean the problem is that videos are much more complex and also heavy represent. I mean, um, kind of data than with respect to images. So they're much bulkier. They can be like several gigabytes of data. So you want to process them in an efficient way. So basically, you cannot just do a vanilla application of techniques that have been developed for images and use them on videos and hope to get good results. So, maybe do you want me to share this uh, project page that we have on this? Uh, yes. that could help? Because we have a nice introductory video that shows pretty much what kind of steps we follow in that development. So if you're happy with that, I will do it right yes, now. Yes, that
0: would be great. We would, we would like that. Our global viewers and listeners would appreciate that.
1: This is a paper that has been recently published at the British Machine Vision Conference in 2016 by just one of a series of papers that that we are publishing on the topic. So I will just share share the project page with you right now.
0: Okay. Let me
1: see. So this is the project page I hope you can see it yes and here there's a little video that, that we created I'll close the audio there and I will explain it myself there you go. so the problem here is to de- not just to recognize what what human action is taking place in the video this is uh, the most important benchmark in, in action recognition but it's also as you can see here uh, to detect what part of the video is actually containing an instance of that specific action? And here you can see in different colors uh, different action instances of the same class. So this is the, the biking activity, and as you can see in this in this uh, video example video here, we can detect multiple a multiple number of uh, of instances of the same action. So this is like a 3D view of the of the video, represented as a series of images. And here you see in color, in different colors, the different what we call action tubes, which are like series of, uh, of bounding boxes that, that delimit a certain action within an image, linked up in time, in order to both detect and recognize what human activities are being performed in the video. So here you, you can see an example in which even six such tubes are detected. This is another example videos. And here in green you can see the ground truth. So this is like a true location that has been annotated by by humans by manual uh, by people actually manually annotating the videos and, and delimiting the, the, the places where they thought uh, actions of interest were being performed. And in red you can see the the bounding boxes that are pre- predicted by by our algorithm. So you can see they're pretty close most of the time. So we were very happy with the, with the performance of these, um, this approach based on, uh, on deep learning. And that, here you that, can that,
0: see. That's yeah. very interesting because, because that that what, what you're showing you. is that multiple, multiple actions are able to, uh, are being recognized at the same time. Am I correct? This is,
1: this, is, this is something we are really proud of because it's really a recent uh, trend of, the, I mean, so far up to like maybe a year ago. The, the field was just focusing on recognizing individual actions in, uh, in, in single videos. This is another data set that is about people doing certain things in, a, in an indoor environment. You can see here, there are multiple numbers of people and they do like complex interactions like handshaking they go about um, opening doors putting stuff into into boxes so a very very challenging um, environment in which for instance here you know the class is is very sophisticated like telephone conversation or putting taking an object into from a box so this this uh, person here is recognized as performing both actions at the same time but as you as you were rightly pointing out I think uh, that should be enough for the for the example video. Um, so I stop sharing the I stop sharing the 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 so, but as you as you were rightly pointing out, in order to create intelligent machines that, that that can actually interact in a natural way with people, you cannot just assume there is a single person in front of you that performs a very specific. A gesture, you no, know, no. That that is something that has already been implemented in in um, high-end cars, uh, for instance, like Mercedes or, or other uh, expensive models. So you have the ability to command, to send commands to 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 your car using using gesture interaction. But that's a very very simple, a constrained scenario. So if you're thinking of a smart car roaming around once again, I, I keep using that example not because it's the only possible application of this. But because it really makes clear what kind of challenges are there when you, when you, when you really want to deploy an intelligent machine in, in a natural environment. And there you have a variable number of other cars, you have 5, five 10, 15 pedestrians roaming around. These are all, they're, these are all intelligent agents, so they're all, they're all people with their own hands. And they keep making decisions, they have their individual goals. And somebody is going to school. Somebody is going to work. They're going to buy grocery. They want to drive to their, their 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 workplace. So they have their their own individual objectives, and it's basically impossible for, for an intelligent machines to understand what, what 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 is going on if they don't understand that these people are rational agents with goals and that they pursue those goals. Yes. And, and that different people have different goals, so we're not, it's not like a game in which everybody wants to reach the same, the same the same final results, but so everybody have their own goals in life, or like more specifically for what they want to do with their mornings, and uh, a robot or a machine that, that is deployed in, in such natural human environments need
0: to reach that level of sophistication. Yes, yes. very true. Now, why... No, right. right. Other are computer there interaction, interaction methods. Why are we. we- not I, I haven't heard you. Okay. So, while other computer interaction methods are artificial tools, right. where humans must adapt to the computer. Yes. Gesture and action, recognition, interaction reverses this by putting the burden on the computer to understand the human. So here, the entire burden is on the computer or the, you know, uh, robots, uh, whatever term we use here. So how difficult it is for the computer or robots to understand human gesture and actions.
1: It's extremely, extremely challenging, you know, like... As I was saying before, the field is kind of working its way up. So, it started maybe 20 years ago from, from very simple benchmark datasets, collecting like five or six different action classes performed by an individual person against like a static background. And then they started collecting. People started collecting videos from from the YouTube and created and then created the first more realistic um, datasets of, uh, of human actions in videos. Now the most um the most complete ones contain several hundred classes of human activities so you're you are getting towards the 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 kind of fine grain recognition that you need for real world deployment but then there's there's a number of other uh, factors that make recognition difficult for instance when the video is observed from from a different viewpoint so the representation that you use for images has to be invariant to that. So you have to be able to recognize things that are performed from from different angles. If the illumination conditions change, the appearance of the, the person or the scene will change in the image. And again, the, the algorithm has to be robust to that. So if you have stuff that moves in the background, that does not, does, doesn't have to confuse the algorithm. So there's the more realistic the, the the algorithm you want you want the algorithm to be, the more the more difficult it becomes to devise a system that is robust to all these uh, to all these issues. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons these uh, deep neural networks have become so popular is that they seem to be they seem to be able to, to create pro- representations that are robust to all these possible variations, obviously when trained properly, So you, you need to train them for, for quite an extensive period of time. I mean, if you think, if you think what happens to humans, you know, we, we, we are born then then they are, we are brought up and we keep learning all the time from our interaction with our parents and then with our peers, we go to school and we never really stop learning. So we, we learn from, from from a really huge amount of data. So like thinking that you can just train a machine over like a few weeks of, of, of feeding them data and imagine that they can perform just as well as, as, as we do in natural environments, I think it's very naive. Yeah. And you know, you might think this is a mistake that 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 People that are not familiar with the field do, but if you think about you know what happened with Tesla recently, you know the 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 accident they had with it, it, it does make you think that a lot of people, even even people that that, that are commercially active in this, do not really grasp the, the 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 challenges that are involved into into creating level five artificial intelligence as they they call it. I mean they they just label these capabilities and they. It's in a way they kind of thought they would that that is a way of grasping. No, no, they just they just call it level five, and they say, okay, we're gonna get to level five. But what does that entail? The 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 the, the material behavior of these companies and and or 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 startups that work on this thing makes you really think that they don't really understand what are the difficulties involved by by.
0: Yes. I mean, learning is a lifelong process, right? I mean, for us humans, and when we talk about uh, machines or com- uh, robots or computers, they have no end of life. I mean, their learning is going to go on forever, probably, you know, more than human years. So uh, there are, although many intelligent systems are commercially available and have been widely applied across many industries, there are so many technical non technical problems that remain to be solved where do you see a need for more efforts well one issue
1: i think is the the sheer like i will say is the sheer lack of data so um, you really you really need lifelong training in order to get to get to i mean it's not just a matter of what kind of algorithms you devise to, to learn from from data, but it's also a matter of exposing these these uh, intelligent algorithms to to enough data. And we are not not nearly close to to, to 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 do that. So and also we are not we are selective in a way we are training our, our algorithms. So the way the way humans learn is is kind of accidental in a way right so you don't you don't make a schedule and present and present a person with you know, like videos for like two years of their life and then they have to watch it. so in a way the way we train our machines like we decide in advance what they need to learn from so yeah. how can you possibly get unexpected or behavior from that if you if you know if you kind of design what 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 are the data you, you're making and learn from so that that is not the way it works for 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 people so people learn in a more active way so they they learn as a result of their of their everyday experience so they interact with environments and they get feedback in result. so this is this is something that in machine learning is is called reinforcement learning so you 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 have experiences and then you are rewarded or penalized based on these experiences. So if you make mistakes, you know you, you're doing a bad assignment, you get a bad mark, and, and you're sad. So you don't you don't want that to, to happen again in the future. So you take actions in order to, you know, to avoid that. And so this idea has started has started to be introduced in uh, in machine learning, but we are we're very very early stages. So I think there's a lot to do in that in that respect. Yes. And the other yeah, please.
0: Yes, no, I said you are right, absolutely. Now, I mean, for us, we benefit, humans, we benefit from the collective intelligence, from the learning that even uh, people we don't know have achieved. We, we benefit from that learning because there is that collective intelligence available for us to benefit from. Do you see that, you know, that kind of uh, intelligence, collective intelligence will be, possible for machines or computers or humanoids or robots that they will be able to benefit from because there are so many efforts happening in silo and so many different you know advances are happening but nobody knows each other i mean uh, what tesla probably knows that you know google doesn't know or you know uh, a company in china they don't know or they you know in instit- research instit- institutes like yours universities they may not know what advances are happening all across nations so do you see a possibility that that kind of collective intelligence? for these humanoids or robots or uh, machines would be possible that you all, they all can benefit from so that intelligence, so the learning can be expedited.
1: That is a very good point, actually. So I, I'm mm-hmm. happy you raised that. So we're we we are pretty, pretty far away from that, I would say. So there have been very limited initial steps in that direction. So uh, just to give you a practical example, the networks that we use for for action recognition from videos they are normally pre-trained on data set that they have been designed for object detection so people have have created a data set of images with different object classes in there so they train networks on those then when when we when we approach activity human activity recognition from videos we don't start from scratch so we don't train a network from 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 nothing. So just by feeding them video data, but we use a network that has already, I mean, as a component. So one of the components of, of our network has been trained on on these uh, object classes uh, detection data sets. So that, as you, as you can appreciate, I think, is a very limited, but significant, I'd say, step in towards the direction that you were indicating. So sharing knowledge between between across purposes you know these are these are these are two different tasks and uh, but you can you can use the outcome of one task in order to help solving the other task and a number of people also have uh, started training their their algorithms across data sets so that's kind of more horizontal so in the past, people would just focus on, on one specific uh, benchmark and then train the, the, their approach on, on that one and get the results. Nowadays, what people do is they do train the algorithms across different data sets that, that they might contain very different sort of data, like YouTube videos, for instance, versus videos that have been acquired indoor. You see some example in, in, on, my, on my sample video. Uh, videos from movies so that makes that really makes your algorithm more robust because you can, you start seeing a variety of different situations so that the machine whatever the machine learns is robust to, to this to these variations and again once again this is what we do in, in, in our lives right so we keep adapting to 20 to, to entirely new situations
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. So we, we took a few baby
1: steps in that direction, but again, there's, there's a lot of work to do there.
0: Yes, there is a lot to do. You're absolutely right. Now, along the way to giving machines human-like capability to understand gesture and action recognition, there remains so much more that needs to be learned about how structure and meaning in facial expressions or gestures and actions are encoded in the speech signal and about how this knowledge can be incorporated into usable systems. What would be the criteria that would decide machines having man-like communication capability through gesture and action recognition? What would be the criteria?
1: Well, I'm not I'm not, I'm not an expert on speech recognition, but uh, again, I think the main criteria, the main criteria is really robustness. So. To Acquiring the the capability of dealing with uh, with a number of different situations, and to do that you need more data, as I was saying. But you also need a different paradigm for for machines that learn. Um, so this is something uh, in, an interesting work that I that I started. I'm starting with uh, with a new postdoc that we are hiring here right now. It is about the very foundations of, of machine learning. I don't know if you're much familiar with, the, with this field, but um, people are, I mean, in machine learning, people are aware that, that models that you learn from a certain uh, training data, as it's called, are not necessarily performing, are not necessarily going to perform well on test data. They, they, they are acquired under, under entirely different situations. Yes uh but they don't really there isn't really a principal way of coping with those problems so in in everyday's practice um people resort to to something that is called cross-validation which is they they test their models on the on uh parts of the training data in order to make it more robust but again there there is no theoretical guarantee that the, the model they learn in in such a way is going to perform well Again, the Tesla, the Tesla example example comes 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 to your mind again. You know, yes. the machine the machine was was trying to recognize, say, trucks and other vehicles, but it encountered a situation in which just failed like catastrophically, and that was because the way the model the model of the appearance of other vehicles was learned was not cautious enough, so it was not skewed towards the worst case situation. So we really need a paradigm of machine learning that takes into account, not what you think is gonna happen, but you know what, what you think it's going to be the worst possible case when you encounter new data. So if you want a machine to be, or an algorithm to be, is really robust, whenever you get new data you have not been trained on, like, uh, you know, you, you're trained to say speech recognition system on yourself. And then there's a, like, you want to apply it to a two-year-old um, child, right? Yeah. Yes. They will speak in a, in a completely different way. They will have a different um, tone of voice. And they will, you know, the, their, their speech will not be entirely coherent. So, And so I can bet that, that nothing will work in, in 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 such a situation if you train it in a A so what do you want an intelligent machine to do? You want to you want it to be robust to, to the to the worst possible case. So okay, I cannot train I cannot train my algorithms on of an infinite amount of data because that's never gonna be possible. Yes. Especially because that involves actually people, as I was saying before in, in my example video, ano manually annotating stuff. That is very expensive, that is very time consuming. So you cannot just imagine that happening anytime soon. So then you need to make your algorithms contemplate what, what is the p- worst possible case and behave accordingly. So in I mean I, I have a strong I have a strong opinion about that and really think that is the only way forward if you want to design something that works more or less in, in most situations.
0: Yes, yes, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, these are these are all such complex uh, tasks that uh, needs to be performed. I mean, if you we, if we look at the autonomous cars that the uh, test, like you just mentioned that uh, are happening and uh, why the machine was not able to recognize certain thing. I mean, these all sounds very simple, but gesture and action recognition involves so many coordinated processes that are happening in sequence and the humans, we communicate through gesture actions, the receiver that is the computer or machine, or you know, this in, in this case, the autonomous car, they extract ideas from gesture and actions and it, they would need to rely on context to narrow down the possible meanings of gesture and action. Now all of these processes are very must be very challenging for machines at this point, right? I mean to narrow down the possible meanings because all that information needs to be embedded within the uh, machines or computers to be able to do that. So, uh, yeah, that is a very important
1: point. Yes, I mean context. Context is a is a very strong keyword. So just like you were rightly saying. Discerning discerning the meaning of set certain uh, events does depend on context. So if I'm reaching out with my arm and my cell phone is near it, then, then I'm grasping I'm going to grasp the cell phone. But if I'm if I mean depending on the on the presence of different objects around you, your the same action can have different meanings. So once again people have, have started recognizing that and they have started uh, looking for ways of, of introducing context in these uh, in these islands. But again, especially in a robotics uh, in a robotics setting. So there have been a number of papers by by um, a person at Cornell that now just moved to, to Stanford. Name is Saxena I think, which is about affordances. Affordances is a word that the de- that describes the way objects are used by people. So a if a robot is to is to interact with with other with people with humans they need to understand the certain object have certain functions in the scene so when then people move towards a certain object then they it's because they want to do something with them right yes so object context is is rec- is being recognized as one of the elements that will slowly bring machines to that kind of sophistication but as you I think you were you were making a very, very, very true point there that, you know, if The smart cars that are developed by the biggest players in the field cannot even solve a very simple task, you know, you have a static the truck was parked there. So it was just a matter of recognizing a static object there. And it makes a mistake based on color. You know, this is kind of the lowest possible represent problem. I mean, when you when you do intelligent vision, like Recognizing static object is one of the simplest possible problems. So, think think how much more complicated it is is to understand when you see a child on, on on the sidewalk that that is a is an intelligent a sentient being that has goals, and their pattern of behavior depend on their age. They depend on what time of the day it is. If it's early in the morning, they're going to school. If it's in the afternoon, you know it's not. Yes. I mean the layer, the layers of sophistication. There, there, there's so many of them, and when I hear about you know talks of getting um, smart vehicles deployed in, in in ten years, it makes me laugh to be honest, because you know this just demonstrates a lack of understanding of how far we. I mean, I'm an expert in a specific field, and and I know exactly what I'm when I'm what I'm talking about when I, when I'm talking about action recognition and I know where we are. Yes. Because we we are among those that have state of the art results on that, so I'm I'm very much aware of the limitations of what we can or cannot do in the specific field, and this one is just one of the capability capabilities that the smart machines needs to have, right? And we are not there, yes. so if we don't have these capabilities, how can you possibly think of of deploying deploying? Uh, I mean, the only solution is you. As you were as you were saying like maybe ten minutes ago, we force people to behave in a way that machines find easier to understand. But then we are going backwards, right? So we 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 we, we move forward to, to, to natural human computer interaction in order to avoid that. But then we want to deploy absolutely we want to deploy autonomous cars because that we, we can make a lot of money out of that. But in order to do that, we need to go back and force once again people to behave in a mechanical way, so that machines can understand them. Then, what is the point of the whole exercise?
0: Yes, it is. It is. You're absolutely right. It's prob- probably you know, premature at this point. Now, an action is a sequence of human mo- body movements or a non-human, uh, any objects movements. Right. May involve several you know, parts concurrently. I mean, irrespective of whether it's a human or non-human object in front of the machine, it involves several, you know, different uh, parts. So the interpretation of human or non-human motion is a fundamental task in computer vision, I guess. And it has rightfully received so much attention in recent years with so many wide applications uh, that are possible in surveillance, human-computer interaction, and the you know even in the entertainment industry. So, from the viewpoint of computer vision, what are the challenges for the recognition of human, non-human action? Because to think that a ro- machine or a robot or a you know autonomous car would only face humans as a challenge or the other objects as a challenge there could be other computer or other robot in front of them so there are many different kind of challenges that could come their way so many different kind of action sequences that could be there uh, in front of them so the from the viewpoint of computer vision what would be the challenges for the recognition of the, all those diverse actions that could happen in front of them
1: yeah, you keep, you keep raising very good points, I have to say. <laughs> so, well, unfortunately, a lot of the work that is is conducted in computer vision nowadays does assume that it's a human that, that is performing something uh, in a in video. So they use very strong prior knowledge about the shape of the human body in order to detect actions of interest in videos and then follow up with whatever reasoning they apply to that. We need, we need to go beyond that. So we need to, we need to stop assuming that the only humans can perform meaningful activities, especially as you were saying, if in, we are going towards environments in 10 or 15 years time, in which there will be some, some form of deployed intelligent machines around us that they will start interacting with, with humans. And we cannot just assume that they will have humanoid form, right? So Whatever, whatever this adds a further layer of complication. Whatever algorithm will be there in in 20 years' time, they will need to deal with this additional level of robustness. So understand that humans are not just the only rational agents around, but other machines can 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 be autonomous and then make decisions by themselves and cope with that. And again, we are now we are nowhere near that. So even even this realization is just starting to filter through the, the 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 scientific community so things that have been deployed like commercial products so far are very i mean very very simple very constrained like you know giving gestural comments to your laptop or your you can actually install apps on on your on your smartphone and give gestural comments to to your to your smartphone one thing you can do is you can do semi-automated surveillance from 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 CCTV cameras. Like so, instead of having a security guard sitting right there for hours looking at the video screens, you can train algorithms to, to at least single out parts, I mean segments of the video that might be of interest. Like make something may happen, then you you will pass it on to a human, and then they will just screen that particular segment. So that is so like semi automated frameworks in which part of the tasks like the boring part of the task is performed by a machine and the really sophisticated part of the task is performed by still performed by a human are feasible and i think these are these are the the next step they form the next step in the development of the field
0: right 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 now if we look at the laws of the three laws of robotics (laughs) that have been defined is that a robot may not injure a human being through inaction and allow a human being to come to harm. Right. A robot must obey any orders given to by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. To embed these three laws for the safety and security of the human, human beings, humanity, and the human society, is going to be a very complex challenge. How would that be possible?
1: It is. I mean, I mean, as, as FS uh, as SF as it may sound right now, that the, there are actually people that are starting to think in that in that uh, form. Um, so there, people are starting to talk about ethics in robotics and social robotics. So how do, when when you have when you start having multiple multiple intelligent agents around that start interacting with each other, you, they need to develop an ethics. So what is possible and what is not possible. And actually my head of department here did organize a conference on social robotics uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So it is a topic that is starting to receive attention, but I'd say we haven't really even started thinking about something like that. So obviously, obviously not harming not harming humans around robot that do not harm humans around them is is going to be a requirement so whatever legislative body allows for the introduction of say autonomous cars or intelligent machines they will put this as obviously as a very strong mandatory constraint so researchers and companies will have to will have to deal with this problem yes Yes. They will probably, it's not been formalized yet. So in the form you were putting it, like in Asimov science fiction, but they use different words to describe it. But but people are aware that that people will reject will reject the introduction of these machines unless they're 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 sure they're they're completely safe. And that is a lot of lobbying that these companies working on these products will have to go through if they want their products to be actually. Salt at some point.
0: Yes. Yes, very true. Now let's talk about the human robot interaction operating system that provides a structured software framework for building human robot teams or, you know, uh, any kind of uh, necessary framework and supports a variety of user interfaces and enables humans and robots to engage in task oriented dialogue and facilitates interaction integration. Mm-hmm. Of robots through an extensible API, so how secured is are these operating systems? Because with the cybersecurity hacks happening all across nations, one would you know be concerned that these operating systems that are used for the human robot interaction, they are also vulnerable yeah. to the security challenges. Any hacker could get mm-hmm. into that. So how uh, how secure are there? Are there any known hacks? That has already happened, that would be a cause of concern?
1: Well, not that I'm aware of. Again, I'm not an expert in cybersecurity, although there are there are colleagues of mine here that are, but that is a concern, yeah. So so if you start if you start deploying like autonomous machines that can make decisions, then they, they can possibly be hacked into. And you know, if if people start interfering with it the, with their reasoning process that that is going to be a very strong concern so and i don't think we are anywhere near having any reassurances on 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 this like any computer system can be hacked so even even uh, intelli- intelligent computer system with with some form of intelligence deployed will be um, vulnerable to to these sort of attacks so i just see it just another reason to be cautious in actually going ahead and and deploying these things so i think we should really spend the next 20 30 40 years into into coming up with a in an all-round learning framework for these machines that that they can really appreciate the complexity of, of human life and at the same time work around these problems with security and also privacy, maybe this is one of the your, your your next questions, but privacy is also a concern, right? Because if you start placing you know, thinking of placing cameras all over all over people's homes or, or offices, then people will be concerned about about what happens to so that kind of data and so on. So there's there's a lot of work to be done on the regulatory framework, so on the security side of things on the on the regulatory framework for you know the legal framework for for so who responsible for for a machine's actions for instance right so is is the producer or is the 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 owner the buyer of the product Mm -hmm. these are these are very serious issues that bore into into psychology and, and ethics and uh I'm not saying they haven't been discussed so there are there are there is a rising realization of all these concerns but we are at very early stages
0: yes yes now uh, this is a question more about uh, the autonomous defense systems but it falls into the safety and security of the human uh, humans and the humanity and uh, human species so what what do you see the future of autonomous defense system is it there are some there is a rising concern that is it safe to imagine letting a machine decide when to apply lethal force i mean to the military, you know, would be, I'm sure, developing uh, this kind of robots that would apply lethal force under certain circumstances. So there is a lot, of, I mean, there is a rising debate that is it safe to allow these kind of robots or machines to apply lethal force and is that uh, where we should be putting our effort i mean should we not just put our effort to make the robots nice all the time rather than you know making them capable of killing the humans because these again would contradict to the three laws of you know robotics uh, that people have been talking about so if we are defining designing autonomous defense systems then uh, those three laws do not make any sense
1: I was actually reading some some articles about this uh, the other day, and yeah, it is it is something of a concern. I think the, the military are also concerned that you know having systems that can make decisions at a much at a much higher speed than than that uh, humans can can make decisions at is a big concern because you know future wars risk risk being very very high speed and very lethal, just like you were saying. So. And uh, the way I see it, this is a problem with like having a half-baked uh, intelligent system. So you have machines that are intelligent enough to make like low-level decisions on like whether to deploy a weapon, these are these are not very very intelligent problems. Like these are not problems that require a lot of intelligence, you not know, target target tracking or stuff. It's more like video video game. Tasks so so allowing machines to, to make the sort of decisions before they're sophisticated enough to understand the implications you know to have some notion of ethics would be very dangerous so I mean I'm a bit pessimistic in, in, in this in this respect because I mean that that's not the way humans have progressed in the past so we normally we introduce technology before we understood the, 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 the full consequences. So my, my, my concern is that these technologies will, will start being introduced much bef- much before they will reach the, 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 the state of development that, that would make all these risks go away. So I think this will happen and accident, accidents will happen as well. And then there will be a backlash so of some sort
0: yes yes the biggest challenge the biggest challenge i see is that we humans we have uh this intent i mean when we ha- human life we when we as we grow we have a desire we have a purpose that we want to achieve certain things so even if we sometimes use lethal force it is to save probably someone's life or uh, we we our whole all of our actions are revolved around our goals that we have our objectives our purpose in life but for the machines even the most advanced artificial intelligence systems imagine today do the things they do because we tell them to we program them to do that they have no sense or intent or purpose they just do the tasks that we define them yeah. to do so maybe that spark of initiative is innately human but it is at least uh, so far beyond the foreseeable technology horizon to be a distant theoretical risk at its best. So to, achieve, to let them free the way, you know, if, if we go back to the example of autonomous cars at this point, to mm-hmm. let them, you know, be on the road on, with their free will, with the limited task that we have defined for them. It is going to be very complex and it will be a big security challenge. Would you, do you agree to my point?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think it will be very dangerous. And um, in my experience of talking, not not to the military, because we don't work with the military, but to to car makers, they have very little understanding of of, um, what this can entail. So... You know, in a way, our machines are are, are only as intelligent as, as as we make them, and we are not very intelligent as a species, anyway. So, we are quite limited, and, and the, the, the capabilities that we provide our machines are even more limited. And the combination of these two things can be can be really dangerous. I mean, uh, for the longer term. In a way, it's reassuring. So, like people, I've been worrying, like scientists, like Stephen Hawking, have been worrying that the rise of the intelligent machines, but you know, in my from my daily experience as, as a scientist working on these things, I, I still that uh, as see that as a very as a very distant uh, threat. So the, the future the more immediate threat for the future in my in my view doesn't come from machines that are too smart. But from machines that are not smart enough rather. So we are going to deploy machines that are way not smart enough soon enough and that is that is going to be a problem
0: yes yes i agree with you you're absolutely right now you had artificial intelligence and vision efforts at oxford brooks university would you mind sharing what are the current research initiatives uh, that you are working on
1: sure apart from the um, the action recognition project i was telling you about so the next step is to is to recognize to predict future people future people actions so again Moving from from real-time action recognition towards uh, understanding what's going to happen, say in a three or five seconds time, when it's about, say, the automotive scenario, but even more even more in into the future. So if um, a person is is performing a certain activity at home, like they're cooking, so this composed by a series of uh, more simple activities. So by just uh, recognizing the, the complex structure of this series of activities, then you can foresee that, say, in five minutes' time, so you you you, you put the boiler on, you started like you started like boiling your pasta. So you, in five minutes, you're gonna need to, you know, prepare your sauce or whatever. So you can endow machines with a capability of making predictions quite quite far away in the future, as long as they understand the complexity of of the series of activities that are involved in, uh, in people's everyday life, this is one of them. One pro- Another project that we are working on is um, the monitoring of uh, people with uh, brain conditions like uh, dementia in their homes. Um, you can do that by simply measuring like um, accelerometer data coming from, from uh, wearable devices or their smartphones placed on them. So just based on their the patterns of these signals so if a person goes back and forth to the kitchen means like they're they're kind of forgetting what they what they wanted to do so you know these can be early signs of a, of a person developing a brain condition so that can be used uh, like to refer a person to to a medical doctor whenever whenever these signs are picked up um, another project we, we worked on uh, recently was the development of uh, emotional avatars that, using EEG interfaces, so brain-computer interfaces, are able to recognize people's emotions and then transmit them to to the to the humanoid robot in order for the robot to reenact these emotions. So, for instance. I mean, the, we call this project Avatar because it's really about creating creating a humanoid uh, avatar that behaves like like the person, so expresses the, the the person's emotions. That can be used for telepresence, for instance, so like remote interaction with other people at a distance. Can be used to allow to allow um, disabled people to to have a more natural interaction with with their family. So if if the, the BCI interface detects a certain uh, emotional state in the person then the robot can actually enact that through facial expressions or through body poses and sounds. So um, this is a very nice project actually that they, we, we are trying to um, involve other researchers in uh, throughout Europe uh, um, into and uh, then there's another one in collaboration here with Oxford so the first the first project is already in collaboration with the computer vision group in Oxford University and I have another collaboration with another um, full professor in Oxford University about um, um, video browsing so this is something again once again companies like Google and uh, Apple are trying to do or Facebook so mining mining information from from internet videos. so how do you find say a segment of a video that contains like a person i eating an ice cream outside a bar in prague right so if you try and type that on onto onto google video you will not get anything you will get just garbage basically and that's the reason is that The current browsers are just based on recognizing the keywords around the video, so they don't really analyze the video, and that's because, as you were were pointing out earlier on, extracting information, videos are very bulky, there's a lot of stuff in there, and actually extracting semantic information from them is very time consuming. So, how do you about browsing for, for images and videos over the internet in an efficient way? So, this is a topic of another project that we are setting up with this other professor here in Oxford University, uh, using a combination of neural networks and, and description logic. So um, maybe I can spend a minute on that. So one, one interesting aspect to this is that the same image or the same video can have multiple possible descriptions in terms of words, right, verbal descriptions. So I can describe the same video in a completely different way than you do or an image. So how do we make algorithms understand that my description is equivalent to yours? Even when I'm using different words, right? Yeah. So I can say Chatting with I mean holding an ice cream In central Europe or I can say eating an ice cream outside a bar in Prague and they, they all mean they both the so both the description mean the same thing. But Current, current algorithms don't really don't are not really sophisticated enough to understand that these two different verbal descriptions have the same semantics And again, this is just another example of how complicated it is for for machines to To, to, to understand us as we are so without all the layers of of sophistications. There in that are in our brains
0: Yes, yes, no very 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 interesting projects that you are working on very interesting initiatives I would love to see the result uh, that you achieve, how, you know, you progress. It would be really interesting to know the advances that you develop. But this is the last question. Right Right now, we are doing this uh, risk roundup dialogue. Right. Through, you know, using InkOut. And we are able to see each other. We are able to talk to each other. We'll Mm -hmm. be able to generate a video as, you know, by having, you know, different screens at different times, depending on who, who is talking. When would it be possible that using the computers or these, you know, interfaces, we would be able to conduct a dialogue, even though we are in separate locations, you you are in UK, I'm here in uh, United States, but it still would look like, you know, we are sitting together in one room and we are having this dialogue. When would we have that capability? Because I would, I really look forward to that. Then we can have a really interesting dialogues with so many people, so many decision makers all across nations. We can have panel discussions, and but it all depends on the research that uh, scientists like you, you uh, come up with. So when would that be possible?
1: Well, actually uh, I've seen a European project about that back in 2003, if you, if you figure. So already thirteen years ago there were there were funded projects on on creating more natural looking environments for for teleconference and as you rightly pointed out we we're still we're still not there yet so and uh, so they yes. they did they did have a demonstrator back then so there were like three wow. three different screens like um arranged in a, in a triangle and then they would take pictures of of different participants and then project them into like fixed positions and facing like more or less a a standard uh, direction and they looked all right i mean so you might you might have thought that this this will happen in after a few more years of development that uh, but clearly hasn't happened yet and uh, so I haven't followed developments on that particular topic since, but uh, I, I suppose they ran out, ran ran out into, they bumped into into some some serious obstacles. But I think it it will happen eventually. In a way, the the pace of technological progress see, seems strange to say, but it seems to have slowed down in in, in the last twenty years and maybe because we haven't had wars recently so you know technological processes it seems to speed up during wars so it, at peacetime technology is more driven by by the commercial interest in, of companies and if companies don't don't think a certain a certain development is, is going to make money to them they it, it just doesn't happen and
0: i think this is the
1: stage we are at now
0: That is true. That is true. But let's move that advances happen more in a peaceful time than, you know, waiting for the war to happen. (laughs) I really like that. So thank you so much, Professor Fabio, for participating in this roundup today. Uh, We appreciate your thoughtful insight on advances in artificial intelligence. And our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the understanding you provided on the gesture and action recognition and its impact. Uh, we will all face today, not only today, but also in the coming tomorrow. So even if a single individual or entity is able to come up with ideas to innovate, collaborate, and prepare themselves on the basis of the understanding they received from this discussion we had today, this Risk Roundup Dialogue has been of service, and we thank you for that.
1: I hope it's been useful, Jashree, and again, I, I thank you for having me. That was a very, very nice experience and useful as well. Mm.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Professor Fabio. So man-machine communication is evolving rapidly. The advances in the development of human to machine communication network is changing the way in which man and machine work and communicate. That is human and robots or human and humanoids. This allows unthinkable cooperation and collaboration among human and non-human intelligence who could be in diverse locations, irrespective of cyberspace, geospace or space. Now, driven by a combination of technology advances and application demands, when man-machine interface systems tend to imitate the real world environment, each and every advance in technology in cyberspace, geospace, and space introduces new questions about security. The security concerns and need for protection is not only about user personal data, but many other interconnected, interdependent security risk variables that arise as a result. Risk Group Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created for this very reason to identify, evaluate and manage the risk-facing NGIOA NCGs—that means nations, its government, industries, organizations, academia—in cyberspace, geospace, and space—and to discuss, debate, and define necessary framework, structure, processes, tools, and technologies to manage the security risk of not only the digital global age but also of the coming technological superconvergence. Because we at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to the management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities, as well as management of conflict, and it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if you build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos or hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgrouplc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayshree Pandya, host of risk roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.